Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. All right. Praise the living God. Okay, friends, we want to start another series uh, in the course of our discussion about the predictions of the last days. And in this section, we want to deal with a very unique and specific subject, uh, which has to do with the word of Armageddon. And uh, our test is going to be coming from Revelation 16, as a matter of fact, from 14 to 16. That's where we're going to have our text from. Original 16, 14 to 16 is where we're going to have the text from. And uh, it's very important you catch up with what I'm about to say in this particular series. So this is going to be part number one of the series on the world of Armageddon. And so we just take it. And the Bible says, uh, Revelation 16, reading from verse 16 as well. Is where we're going to be taking the text from, like I said, that's very important. We treat this, and so this is what the Bible says. From I want to read from verse number um, number twelve. So it should be Revelation sixteen from verse number twelve. All right, okay. So I want you to know that. So this is what it says. From verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and are you there? And the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. 13 says, And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, came out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. 14. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them together, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Notice that. Great day of God Almighty. And then, hallelujah. And he gathered them together. Into a place, no, verse 15. Behold, I come as a thief, blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garment, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And verse 16 says, And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Praise the Lord. He gathered them into a place that is called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. So I want you to pick this. This is what we want to deal with now. Now, if you go to um, chapter 19 and verse number 19 as well, uh, you'll be able to see it. The Bible says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and the armies gathered together. Amen. And make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Now, this is what we want to be dealing with. The issue of this war of Armageddon. What is it all about? Now, 
The original of this world, Armageddon, have been variously formed and variously translated as well if you begin to study scriptures. It is uh, called Megiddon, which means the Mount of, of the Assembly, or Komagedehon, or Komagedehon, the destruction of the army, or it is also called Jaws Megiddo, which means Mount Megiddo, Mount Megiddo. Now, that's the value of which was remarkable for the great struggles or slaughters, one of the Israelites and then the other of the Canaanites. I would like us to also read some scriptures along this line. Um, just trying to tell us what happened in this in this particular place. So if you look at Second uh, Kings chapter 23, for instance, and uh, we we'll look at verse 29. Second Kings 23, verse 20, number 9. And this is what the Bible says. And in his days, Pharaoh Nechal, king of Egypt, went up against the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. And King Josiah went against him, and he slew him at Megiddo, when he had seen him. One of the great slaughters. Now, if you go down again now to, and that has to do with Israelite now. Then if you go to the book of Judges chapter 4, uh, let's just look at Judges chapter 5, and we'll look at verse number, number 19. Judges 5 verse number 19. And this is what it says. 5.19, the Bible says, The kings came and fought then, for the kings of Canaan in Tanakh by the waters of Megizo. They took no gain of money. So we find these two, I mean, these battles here, constant battle that was always in this particular place called Megiddo. And so here we find the great slaughter, two great slaughter, like I said, one of them the Israelites, the other one of the Canaanites. And now, but, but, but Megiddo, that is Camel, is actually the place according to somewhere. This army should be gathered. In terms of when we talk about this, um, um, what we're calling the, the War of Armageddon, that people normally uh, talk about. So, therefore, this is going to be the place where these armies are going to be gathered. Amen? All right. Now, in Bible days, the town of Megiddo occupied a very marked position on the southern edge of the plain of Ezreelon. And um, it commanded an important pass into the hill country. Now, this locality was a great battleground of Palestine, on which had fought many of the famous battles of Old Testament history. It was a town belonging to Manasseh. If you look at the book of Joshua, uh, Joshua 17, and verse 11 in particular, uh, you're able to see something there. The Bible says, And Manasseh had a Nisaka and Anasha, Bershain, and her towns, and Iblan and her towns, and the inhabitants of Dor and her towns, and the inhabitants of, uh, was it, of Tanakh and her towns, and the inhabitants of Megiddo and her towns, even three countries. You see that? Alright. So, this, this, this is this particular Megiddo and the towns within the region of Megiddo, they belong to Manasseh. 
when they go to the promised land. Now, in Judges chapter 5, and that's number 7, uh, Judges 5, verse number 7, you see the story of the story of Deborah, the judge. Now, in verse number 7, it says, uh, the inhabitants of the villages cease, uh, they cease in Israel, until that I, Deborah, arose, that I arose a mother in Israel. Okay? Right. Now, that's if you keep going on. So, this was the war. It was right in that same spot about Megiddo. Josiah was killed in this place, and uh, like we read before, the second day 23. If you read it down again, uh, if you will, 23, and then we'll take it from verse, now 29, 30, uh, the book of Second Kings. Alright, so we look at 23. Praise the Lord. Second Kings chapter 23, and then I take from 29, rather, let's take up 29, uh, which is okay for us, I'm sure. 29 and 30. Second Kings now, by Josiah. In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up against the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates, and King Josiah went against him, and he slew him at Megiddo, when he had seen him. The study says, and his servant carried him in a chariot, dead from Megiddo, and brought him to Jerusalem, buried him in his own sepulchre. And the people of the land took Jehoaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in his father's stead. Amen. This is still all in Megiddo. And I'm going to have one or two things to say as we progress on the issue of Josiah. But you see, this is this is to let you know one of the things that happened in the war of Megiddo is righteousness and reformation is killed in the war of Megiddo, who is a Megiddo. We'll talk more about that. Now, it was originally a Canaanite city. And it took a very long time, long spread of walls, to be able to get it out from their hands. Hallelujah. It took a very long time, fighting battles to make sure, I mean, to be able to get the city out of the hand of the Canaanite. Amen? And uh, we find that in First Kings chapter 9, verse 17, Solomon built his temple in this particular spot. I mean, he built a city at the end of the day. Verse 15, if you read it, First uh, Kings chapter 9, 15, the Bible says, And this is the reason of the levy which King Solomon raised for to build the house of the Lord and his own house and Milo and the wall of Jerusalem and Hazor and Megiddo and Geza. So that's one of the things. Joseph, I mean, Solomon built it again, you know, and all of that. Now we come down to the book of uh, Revelation, and then uh, we look at the verse 14, which is very, very important. Verse 14, the book of Revelation 16, um, I mean, Verse 14 of that particular chapter, and we see something very unique there to talk about. So, Revelation 16 again, we'll go back. 
and I'm going to show you now. Revelation 16, and we'll read 14 again, to 15. 14. For they are the spirit of the devils, working miracles, and going forth unto the kings of the earth, not the whole world to bellow them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Amen? And then uh, when you get to verse 16 of that same reading, you begin to talk about the issue of the Megiddo now. And that's what you see there. So you get to verse 16. And he gathered them together into a place called on the Hebrew tongue, Amagiddo. But the two things I want you to pick here is Armageddon and the great day of the Lord, they are one. The great day was the battle of Armageddon. That's what you see here. Finally, the kings of the earth and the whole world are gathered together unto Armageddon to the battle of the great day of God or of the great day of the Lord. Did you see that? 14 and 16 in particular. Amen? 14 talks about the great day or battle of the Lord and verse 17 talks about the battle of Armageddon. So, what is the battle of Armageddon in the true sense? Up to this moment, it's been very ridiculous how men have tried to conjecture up the reality of this war. In the past years, some eager but obsolete seers and self-inspired prophets have gone on to indicate certain happenings on the earth as the supposed war of Armageddon. At one time, it was Austerities. At another time, it was Moscow. At another time, Leipzig, and then the Waterloo with regards to Napoleon Bonaparte. They all have this claim that all of this war that was fought in those seasons, they were pointing to the war of Armageddon. But that was not true. You know, it's all the more reason why people keep failing in these projections. It's part of the things we're going to discover in the course of these studies. Now, the Washington Tract Society again interpreted Psalm 90 verse 10 as the length of a generation to be 80 years. And since 1914 plus 80 equals 1994, the predicted Armageddon will occur around that year. But there was no Armageddon. Then again in 1995, they said, Armageddon is not coming, that Armageddon has been delayed, so the end of the world was no longer near. They changed that, because it doesn't fit in. Now, in 2018, John Hagee, in his book, As Last Empire, predicted the soon coming war of Armageddon in the Middle East. Nothing happened. Have you wondered why all these things keep failing? It's part of what we're going to discover. And thus, they have gone on and we go on, confounding and being confounded by the predictors because they are looking in the wrong direction for its fulfillment. Hallelujah. They're looking at the wrong directions for improvement. Now, let's take a look at, first of all, the book of Revelation. If we must catch what exactly is the, 
is 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 a magadam. Then we need to look at the book, the book of Revelation. What is this book really all about? Is this some dragon and the Antichrist? Is it all just about Israel of old? Almost all faces of Christianity have one thing or the other to say about this book. There are those who say the book is already fulfilled in AD 70 because Israel is a Babylon the Great mentioned therein. Therefore, is already a fulfilled book and perhaps so we have nothing to do with it. Yes, the word says, of course, the things that shall surely come to pass. Surely for the seven churches that he was writing to, he shall visit them. But does that exclude the fact that the book is an ongoing, continuous, fulfilling book? For the author himself is ever living and knowing that he wrote to his body which is a church listen to what i'm saying the fact that he wrote to the seven churches does that exclude us as not having anything to do with us knowing that the author which is christ himself was writing to his church amen now, the promise of giving the tree of life to the overcomer, must it end with those churches in Asia? Is the tree of life an old tree that has passed away or that is Christ himself? Now, in verse 3, the Bible says, that's chapter 1 verse number 3 of the book of Revelation. Hallelujah. Chapter 1, verse number 3. Blessed is he that read it, and did I hear the words of this prophecy, and keep these things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Hallelujah. Now, we know that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, the prophecy here should be about Jesus. Now, if that is the case, does it mean it was only the seven churches that should have been blessed by reading or understanding this prophecy? Or that it can extend to us today? Get what I'm saying? Verse 3 said, Blessed is he that read it. So I'm asking, was this kind of promise made to only the seven churches in Asia or we too can benefit by reading the Bible which is actually the book of Revelation and get this point again this is the only book that has a promise attached to the reader hallelujah this is the only book that has a promise attached to the reader when he said blessed is he that read it Praise the living God. Now in Revelation 1 verse 18, the Bible says, I am he that liveth, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. 
And I have the keys of hell and death. Is he living today or that is a past event? Again in Revelation 1 verse 8, it says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, say the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty, which is, which was, which is to come. Yes, it is today and forever. All glory to God. Now, is this coming just to only the seven churches or just the destruction of Israel in AD 70? Do you suppose that is where it ended? It's coming ended just there? Can't we see that this is an ever continuous coming to all men that ever live from Adam that they might be redeemed as well? Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Praise the Lord. Are you following it? Now, you may ask, why are you bothered about all this? Very good question. Simply because the title of this book reveals something beyond the fulfilled eschatology as we can commonly see. Look at it. Revelation 1 verse 1. What did he say? The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things could more surely come to pass. And he sent us signified by his angel unto his servant John. And when you look at verse 18, like I said before, he said, I am here that live it. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of hell and death. Now, this is very important. You look at it again. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. Unto who? Not unto John. God gave this revelation to Jesus to reveal unto his servants. So, Jesus Christ, now you got to understand, Christ is not his son name, that Jesus is his middle name, no. These are ministries. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Christ is the Son of God. The revelation of redemption is what you are seeing here. So, God gave him this ministry of redemption, Jesus Christ, to show Unto his servant, things more shall come to pass, and this were revealed to John. So, this is a revelation of a person, and not just an event. Not just a historical account of one man that lived and died, but never rose again. This man lives forever, therefore, his words lives forever to all ages, past, and even future. It's about a person, friends, and not just a Jerusalem event. Or an antichrist to be revealed in the future. Neither is it about world events. I'm talking about the book of Revelation. If we can't see anything more revealing and useful to us today, then we should have nothing to do with the four gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because they are all the historical account of Jesus. Life, therefore they are all fulfilled books. Did you get what I said? 
if we say the book of Revelation is a fulfilled book, like the preterist who want us to believe, then the question is, do we still have need of the four Gospels? If we still read the four Gospels and glean from them life and messages, why do we think this is a fulfilled book and so it should be consigned to history? Are you getting my point? So then, this book is presenting to us the divine truth about the war of all ages. When we talk about the Magdalene, essentially, what we are about to get into is what I will call kingdom eschatology. This unveils the ultimate dealings of God in Christ in all ages for the goal of redemption of all men and the Christ's rule amongst the nations. Just as we read in Revelation 11, verse 15, as the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, which is his body, the church. Are you getting what I'm saying here? What I'm about to reveal, what I'm about, what I'm about dealing with, what I'm pressing into now to show you is the unveiling of God's truths, of the intent and purpose in Christ as revealed based on the redemption of mankind. And that's what I call kingdom eschatology. Are we here? Praise the Lord. So again, to go on with what we're dealing with, we're going to go back again and read the passage so that it can become fresh in our mind and what we're dealing with, which is Revelation 16, again, from 14 to 16. Religion 16, 14 to 16. Let's refresh our mind as we progress. For they are the spirit, I'm just taking from verse 14, otherwise you could read from verse 12. For they are the spirit of devils speaking, I mean, working miracles, which great fault unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And they jump to verse 16. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Amagedon. Praise God. Amen? Right. Now, Amagedon. The word Amagedon appears but once in the Bible, which is Revelation 16 and verse 16. No other place. The origin of this word have been variously formed and variously translated. Like the Mount of the Assembly, which I said before. Praise the Lord. You know, all of those things, the Mount of the Assembly, the Mount of Megiddo, and so on and so forth. Several translations. But let's concentrate now on the revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ will go given to him, like I said. Revelation 1 verse 1. Tinkle must surely come to pass. He sent us signified by the, his angel unto his servant John. As I've said, this is a revelation about the person. Now, the one thing that we, we need to take note of here is that this book of Revelation is entirely a book of symbols. I want you to pick that. It's a book of symbols. Look at what it says. The revelation of Jesus Christ. 
which God gave unto him to show unto his servant. This will surely come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. The word signified means symbols. That means he had done in symbols. Basically, that's how Apocalypse writing are done in symbol, in shapes. Praise the Lord. So basically, what is said for here in symbolic language is about the ages long struggle between truth and error, righteousness and unrighteousness, flesh and spirit, light and darkness, the lamb and the dragon, Christ and the Antichrist, the present evil world system, and the kingdom of God. This is what you find in this book. So, to the negative side of this battle, or the symbols you find in this book, you have symbols like the beast, the dragon, the false prophet, Babylon, that's what they call Mr. Babylon, Harlot, unclean spirits, frogs, etc. Whereas on the positive side, you have the lamb, the bride, the holy city, the overcomers, the man child, the 144,000, and others. So we have these two streams of things working against each other or the symbols you can find in this book now in the same vein if we understand that things like the lamb the bride the holy city these are symbols or you talk about the beast the hollow church system all of these things are symbols am i right give in the same vein Armageddon should be seen as just one of those symbols used in this book. And it therefore must be seen to be symbolic of the great and final struggle with which the present age ends while the kingdom of Christ rises victoriously over all enemies, establishing worldwide righteousness and peace. Hallelujah. Did you get that? If every other thing like frauds and clinic spirit, the beast, the holy city, the lamp of God, if all these things are symbols, then you also must agree with me that a Magadon is symbolic. Is that okay? And I'm saying this is where we come to a final stage of the struggle with the present age evil and system coming to an end while the kingdom of Christ rises victoriously over all of his enemies. This is what the world of Armageddon is all about. It's nothing to be, I mean what we think about and consider to be something that's going to happen in the Middle East no, not at all. Everything in this book is symbolic. Now, now, now let me read the scripture here. Revelation 19 verse 11. For instance, the Bible says, And I saw heaven open, and behold a white house, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he did judge and make war. Hallelujah. 
So now you see, are we expecting a physical Jesus cascading from the sky on a literal white horse? It's very funny how men would tell us that they believe this book to be literal. Now, if it's so, it means their Jesus is from behind time. What do I mean, you may ask? You see, mortal man has gone far ahead using speed train. And powerful machines and missiles in the execution of their warfare. But the Jesus of the church is he using horses and swords. Hallelujah. And somebody said, no, pastor, this is not literal. Very good. Then how are you expecting a physical literal Magadon to be fought with modern weapons. If you think the white horse, the Jesus with a sword in his mouth is symbolic, why are you bringing a Magadon into the physical dimension with physical weapon? This is a problem. Can you see it? Some of us even read the book as if it runs serially from chapter to chapter and so find that fulfillment sequentially. In the same vein. No sir. It ought not to be so studied. Praise the Lord. So therefore. When we consider the battle of Armageddon. We are not to expect any gathering of nations literally. To the hill of Megiddo. Rather we are to look for that which is symbolic. But our place. With the understanding that the place. Is representatively very symbolic of those conditions and circumstances which shall prevail in the political, economic and spiritual realms to bring this present evil age to a close. This is what you must keep abreast of when you are reading this book and considering what the word of a Magadon really is. What did I say? We are looking at a symbolic situation, not a physical place, but a symbolic dimension of a place with the understanding that this place is representative symbolically of those conditions and circumstances which shall prevail in the political, economic, and spiritual realms to bring this evil age to a close. This is what you must keep abreast of when reading this book which is the book of Revelation and considering what the word of Armageddon is all about. You don't have to be thinking of a physical thing. Amen? Praise the Lord. So, let's look at this one word that's so powerful there again which is verse 14 of Revelation 16. It talks about the great day of God Almighty. Now, in Revelation 16, like we read before, the battle of Magdalene is referred to as the great day of God, the verse 16, or the great day of the Lord. It's specific to us as to whose day it is. It is not the day of man or some nations, etc. It is the day of the Lord, the great day of the Lord. This is also very, very important. Now, let me quickly give you a description of the day of the Lord. 
as revealed by prophet Zephaniah. In Zephaniah chapter 1, when you look at verse 14 through 18, this is what you see. Praise the Lord. Zephaniah chapter 1, 14 through 18. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasting greatly, even the voice of the Lord. The mighty man shall cry, dear bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteless and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Verse 16. The day of the Lord is the day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. 17 said, And I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men, because they have seen against the Lord. And their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as a dung. Hallelujah. Now, there is something I want you to note. When you look at that Revelation 16 and verse 15, he said, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garment, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Then 16 has and he gathered them together unto a place called in the Hebrew tongue, meaning this destruction that is coming to the church or to the world in this war is something that comes like a thief. It's going to take men unaware. It's going to take the church unaware. They won't be able to understand what is happening. But before they know it, destruction awaits them. Why? The Lord said, because they sin against the Lord. So that great day of the Lord, the mighty men shall cry there bitterly. The day of the Lord of wrath and distress, a day of wasteness, a desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of the trumpet and alarm against the four cities. No protection. You see the way, the way it was with Jericho. The trumpet of alarm sounded. The wall came down. No protection. No fence city. No depending on anything you have. Naturally or materially. No matter your size. Whatever it is. The day against the high towers. A place where men ought to stay to watch to see if evils are coming. But now it's coming like a thief. So that even the men at the watchtowers can't even see what is coming against the church. I will bring distress upon men. And they shall walk like blind men. And you remember what that means? Remember what happened in Jerusalem? The blind leading the blind. Think about that. Jesus said that to the scribes and Pharisees. Religious people who have no understanding of the time they were living in. Because they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood shall be poured out as dust, and our flesh as the dung. Can you still reflect on what happened to Jerusalem in AD 70? What about the days of Hitler, when he wanted to wipe out all the Jews from the face of the earth? They were like filthy stuff all over the world. Why? Because for one thing, when Pilate wanted to let Jesus go, they cried and said, No, let his blood be on us and upon our children's children. And that was the judgment they were facing even in the heart of Hitler. So sometimes too it's important you mind what you say with your tongue. Hallelujah. Then you know, say, neither receiver nor gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord. 
Hallelujah. But the whole land of Babylon shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. Again, Zechariah chapter 1, I mean Zephaniah 1, 14 to 18. Are you getting it? This is what the day of the Lord is about. And remember we are describing Armageddon. Armageddon equals the day of the Lord. Praise the living God. And this is graphically illustrated to us here from the book of Zephaniah chapter 1, 14 to 18. Now, Prophet Amos cried out in relation to this day of the Lord. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him. Or went to his house and laying his hand on the wall and his servant beat it. Serpent beat him. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? Even very dark and no brightness in it. Amos 5, 18 to 20. What is this telling us? You know, we have some of us who say, Oh, we want the Lord to come. We want the Lord to come. You don't understand what it means for Him to come. You have no clue. If you truly understand what it means for Him to come, you won't be crying for Him to come. Isaiah is saying, You is asking for the day of the Lord to come. Do you know what it means? Praise the living God. So all of this is spells out the meaning of Armageddon. We are talking about the day of the Lord. The Armageddon, as it were. As a time prophesied by Isaiah himself. In Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12 to 18. I mean 12 to 18, he says, The lofty, of, the, the lofty looks of men shall be humbled. And the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud, glory, and lofty. And everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. And the idols he shall utterly destroy. Idols of religion. Praise the living God. Are you getting this? We're just describing what the great day of the Lord means. And the great day of the Lord equals what? Armageddon. So it's not a physical thing that's going to take place. In the Middle East, like so many people, have professed to say hallelujah it's a moment of turning things around when those who seems high could be brought low when the major shall become the least or majority if you will and the least foremost when the mighty shall become weak and the meek and lonely become mighty it is a day when the kingdoms of this world crumbles and fall. And where God's kingdom is established never to fall. And Armageddon is the beginning of the overturning and the turning around of the global atmosphere. As things begin to shift into alignment with the kingdom of God. It is a battle of the great day of the Lord. When the Lord first comes in judgment upon the entire political, economic, and ecclesiastical system of this present evil age, He comes unexpectedly, like we find in Revelation 16, verse 15, like a thief. This is the system we're talking about, like the system of Babylon, the church who have no understanding, no clue. 
as to who the Lord is and what the Lord intends to do. He comes to them like a thief. That the system of Babylon, the church riding on the back of political institution, is destroyed on our ways. This then is the day of the Lord. Hallelujah. So, people, we are saying here, as are the great of the Lord, or the kingdom age, which is that which ushers in. But the battle of Armageddon is to take place. Get what I'm saying? We're talking about a time and a moment. And that which is called the great day of the Lord. That ushers in the fullness of God's kingdom. Age. And this is going to be done through that battle which is called the battle of Armageddon. It's a day that is revealed to destroy an unsuspecting world order and a faithless system. That's why he said, I come like a thief. Just as this great day of God brings in the hour of victory, triumph, and freedom from bondage and fears for the elects of God and for all the make of the earth, the faithless and unbelieving. Who are not kingdom minded Who have hope in something else Maybe the rapture Other than the establishment of the kingdom of God on the earth The reverse will be the case It shall come to them As a day of darkness and gloomness A day of clouds and of thick darkness As it don't spread upon the mountains Joel chapter 2 verse number 2 Are you getting this? When we talk about this Armageddon it's a time that brings victory to the elect of God. That brings joy and peace to the elect of God. That guarantees triumph over issues. Freedom from every form of bondage and fears. But for the unbelieving, and I'm not talking about the people in the world. I'm talking about the Christian who have no understanding, the faithless one, who don't even believe in what God is doing right now on the face of the earth. It should be a day of darkness and gloomness. Praise the living God. This is what the scripture is showing us. Let me quickly make this clarification before I close. Different between the day of the Lord and the Lord's day, as seen in the book of Revelation 1, verse number 10. You know, in Revelation 16, verse 14, we have the great day of the Lord. Right? Verse 14. You look at it again. For they are the spirit of devils working miracles. Going for into the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. The great day of God Almighty, which is the same thing as the great day of the Lord. But that is different from what you find in Revelation 1, verse 10. Revelation 1, verse 10, scripture says, And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. John said, He was in the spirit. On the lost day. Now the lost day is not the same thing as the day of the Lord. Amen. Now the day of the Lord goes with judgment. But the lost day is when his enthronement is being commemorated or celebrated. This is the fact. In Roman Empire, in the then Roman Empire, the emperor was to set a day aside 
to celebrate and commemorate when he ascended the throne. Did you get that? So it's called the Emperor's Day. That day is celebrated. The day he ascended on the throne as an emperor. So for the Christian, instead of celebrating the Emperor's Day, they have what they call the Lost Day. Meaning, they were more cognizant of the fact that Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So they were celebrating, if you will, commemorating, thinking about when he ascended the throne. And that's what they call the Lord's Day. And the Lord's Day spread into ages, if you wait, if I may have to say that. Because that speaks of when he entered into the throne and began his reign. Amen? When he entered the throne and began his reign. That's what he called Lord's Day. Praise the living God. Are you following this? I want you to pick that because this was going to help you right now to understand the difference between the day of the Lord and the lost day. Hallelujah. So, John was in the spirit on the lost day, not in the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the day of judgment, like we have said already. So, he was in the spirit of the lost day. And this is the day that the Lord himself was enthroned as a king in the heavens. Hallelujah. Mind you, Jesus, we are told, or people say, when he comes back, he's going to sit on the throne of his father David in Jerusalem, according to the prophecy, and they call that the second coming. But I want to let you know this he's already seated right now, right from the day of Pentecost, on the throne of his father David. Because I just read this to you from the book of. In the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, hear the statement of Peter on the day of Pentecost. Hallelujah. And that's what he says on the day of Pentecost. He said, let me read from verse 28. Now, he was quoting David now. Okay, let me read from 25. For David speaking concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before me. Before my face, for it is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because I will not leave my soul in hell, neither would I suffer my suffer the holy one to see corruption. Verse twenty-eight. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, and thou thou hast made to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me. Full of joy. Praise the Lord. With our countenance. The verse 29. Men and brethren. Now Peter is speaking. Let me freely speak unto you. Of the patriarch David. That is both dead and buried. And his sepulchre is with us. Until this day. Verse 30. Therefore being a prophet. And knowing. That God has sworn with an oath to him. That of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he will raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He seen this before speak of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul will not be left in hell, neither his flesh this is corruption. This same Jesus, God has raised up. Wherefore we are all witnesses. 
Therefore, be by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into heaven, but he is said, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit down on my right hand. Praise the living God. So what do you see here? Here Peter is declaring that a promise that God made to David that his son will sit on his right hand is just being fulfilled by reason of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Can you handle that? So it is not when he comes back. Now, the throne of David there is equal, if you will, to the right hand of God. And I may surprise you. But God a promise. Praise the living God. Are you following it? Now, where was the promise made? You find it in Second Samuel chapter 7, verse number 12. What Peter was quoting. According to the Acts chapter 2, verse 30. This is what Peter was saying. In Second Samuel 7, verse 12, he says, And when that day be fulfilled, Samuel was speaking to David now, And thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. I will set out thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of the bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Praise the living God. Somebody said this is Solomon. He's not talking about Solomon. How many of you remember that in Exodus 15, Moses built a house for God, which is a church. And when you go to Hebrews chapter 3, you begin to find that Jesus built a house also for God, which is a church. That's the kingdom that he's talking about. And here he's saying, this is a promise God made to David. And so Peter was quoting that. With regards to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So, if the Holy Spirit is poured out, as it were on the day of Pentecost, it simply means Jesus is already sitting on the throne of his father David. Now, read this in the book of Romans chapter 1 verse number 3 and 4. The Bible says concerning his son Jesus Christ, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Can you see that? And declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by what the resurrection from the dead so this is the point so we're talking about the lord having ascended and so when john is saying i was in the spirit on the last day he's talking about the season the time the age at which the reign of christ is in place so everything he intended to show him now has to do with everything that is going to be accomplished he having sat on the throne of his father are you there with me so the release of the holy spirit was a clear indication that he sitting on the throne of his father david equally termed the right hand of god now this was the day john was in what it means therefore was that he was in the spirit on the last day and that the plans and purposes of God in Christ were revealed to him 
which is this book of Revelation. And so chapter 1 verse 1, now called the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show unto his servant David. The revelation of the mystery of redemption that God gave to Jesus to reveal to John, the beloved, and he put it down as a book of revelation. So what are we talking about? The great day of the Lord is the same thing as the battle of Armageddon. And it's not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. And it's a day that will come on our ways to people. We are not mindful of the things of God. It's a day that will come to bring Babylon down. It's a day that will come to bring the kingdoms of this world down. And then the elect of God, the kingdom of God, will stand strong on the face of the earth. The rule of God will fully be manifested. Then the kingdom of this world will become fully the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. Friend, this is what Magadon is talking about. And as we progress, we're going to see more of this truth unveiled to us as to what we are beginning to understand about these failed prophecies of a Magadon taking place in the Middle East as never happening because it's not a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.